welcome. Glad you're here, whether you're in the room or watching online, or maybe you're picking this up later in the week, uh, catching up on what you missed. However you're joining us, glad, glad that you're here. We are wrapping up a series we've been in the last few weeks talking about the Holy Spirit. And uh, I have just really appreciated Pastor Luke's teaching the last few weeks and some of the conversations and clarity that he's brought to, to that topic of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And the good news is there's still more to talk about. So uh, I'm here today to talk a little bit more about some of the things, and we're going to um, wrap up this series and this conversation that we've been having. And uh, I want to set the stage for what we're going to talk about today, um, just kind of lay some context and really kind of get a big picture view of um, and remind ourselves of some of the things that Luke has been um, talking about with the Holy Spirit, why and the role of the Holy Spirit. And to do that, I want us to enter into the, the, the minds and the life of um, Jesus' followers in the first century. So as you read through the Gospels, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's all this conversation that Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. The coming of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. And it's this conversation that this, this kingdom of God, that, that God's rule and reign, that, that God's ways are, are coming. And, and then um, Jesus is then also like gives hints that he is this, um, this Messiah that's going to bring about this kingdom of God. And um, he's going to be this king to rule in this kingdom. And Messiah is a Hebrew word that basically means anointed king. Uh, or in Greek, it's the word Christ. So when we say Jesus Christ, Christ isn't Jesus' last name, it's a title. It's Jesus, the, the king, the king of this coming kingdom of God. And this was actually really good news to the disciples and the people that were listening to Jesus in the first century because uh, they wanted the kingdom of God to come because at that point there's another kingdom that was ruling over them. It was the, the Roman Empire. Uh, the Roman Empire had occupied the, the Jewish lands and they were ruling over the Jewish people and um, uh, heavy taxation and many of the Jews were living in poverty and difficult situations and they yearned for this time. We're looking back at things that they had read in the Old Testament from different prophets talking about this time that was going to come where God was going to bring about this kingdom and, and there'd be uh, peace and justice and restoration and redemption of all these things and they yearned for that moment. Um, waiting for this Messiah to come to usher in this kingdom. And so many of the, the people in Jesus' day anticipated the arrival of the kingdom of God to look a little bit like this. I, I'm a visual person, and I, I like to, to show some things visually, but they, they anticipated that this Messiah would come, that God would bring about this Messiah, this, this king, to bring this revolution and usher in the kingdom of God. Um, some of the Jews thought that this this would happen violently, that there'd be this violent overthrow of the Roman Empire. Um, some some uh, Jews thought it'd be this like political overturn. Um, and some thought that, that God was gonna, in this miraculous way, remove the Romans and, and bring about his kingdom. And they had different, the kind of different ways, but all of them thought that there'd be this moment where this Messiah would return and this revolution would happen, get rid of the Romans, and then the kingdom of God uh, would be on earth. The problem is as you read through the Gospels, the second half of the Gospels, Jesus starts talking to his followers and saying things like, hey, I'm going to have to suffer and die. I'm going to leave you. I'm not going to be around very much longer. And understandably, that created all this confusion for Jesus' followers because they're like, wait a minute, Jesus, if you're the Messiah uh, and you die, how's the kingdom of God going to come? 
Right? If, if we need a king to usher in this kingdom. You can't leave us. And so many of his disciples would, resisted those moments when Jesus was, was saying these things. Right? You have this encounter with Peter where Jesus is talking about he, he, how he's going to have to suffer and die and, and leave. And Peter's like, no, I will never let that happen. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Because you don't have in, things, uh, you don't have in mind the things of God, but the, the things of man. And so as you see the gospel story unfold, you begin to realize that God is bringing about his kingdom in a, in a different way. And it looked a little bit more like this. It's a, the here but not fully kingdom of God. And, and so um, with Jesus' crucifixion, his resurrection, he inaugurates the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is, is started, but it's not complete um, and, and Jesus ascends into heaven, but before he ascends, he, he lets us know that one day he will return, right? that this will be this moment where Jesus returns to fully establish his kingdom, to bring about that redemption and restoration and justice and peace. But there's this, this in-between time, this in-between time where the kingdom of God is here, but it's not fully here yet. And the, the kingdoms of this world are still around, but uh, they're, they're not like permanent. And so it's like this like tension and I know this can be a little bit confusing to try to wrap our heads around it, but those of us that live in Indiana and in the Midwest, we understand the here but not fully. Because right now we're in the here but not fully spring, right? I mean, last week it's like 60 degrees and thunderstorms, and then yesterday there's snow on the ground and it's freezing, and then tomorrow people are going to be wearing shorts again. Like we know the spring is here, but it's not fully here yet. Right, there's all these signs of spring. Flowers are blooming and birds are returning. But yet there's still days where there's frost and snow and cold and freezing, right? It's the spring that's here but not fully here. And that's kind of this idea that, that, that Jesus is bringing about. He initiates the kingdom of God. He ascends to heaven and one day he will return to fully establish it. But in this in-between time, how's the kingdom of God supposed to, to come? Well, Jesus looks at his followers before he ascends to heaven and he says a couple things to them. Uh, in the gospel of Matthew, Matthew records, Matthew 28, 19, that Jesus looked at his followers and said, hey, go into all the nations and make disciples. Uh, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey all the things that I've commanded you. He, he puts that on his disciples, on his followers to, to continue what he had started. Luke talked about this last week in, in the book of Acts at the beginning in chapter one. Um, right before Jesus ascends to heaven, the last things he says, he looks at his disciples and he says, hey, you are to be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, right? So, so this, how, how is it supposed to come when the king's not here? How, how is the kingdom of God supposed to come? Well, it's, it's on his followers, on the body of Christ, the people that are called to be his hands and his feet in the, the world around us. That's how the kingdom of God is supposed to advance, and as his followers, our job, our, our job is to point out the signs of the coming spring, right? Look at the flowers blooming. Look at the birds returning. Look at these realities of the kingdom of God that are, that are coming in the world. And we're called to, to point people to those, to share the good news of the gospel, to, to let them know that there's a different way to live. They don't have to live in the ways of the world, but there's a different way to live that brings true joy and peace and love and fulfillment because you're created. It's how you're created to live. And we get to invite them into that. And then, as followers of Jesus, we get to model what the kingdom of God is going to look like. 
and the way that we do our relationships and the way that the church operates as a community, we are to create this, this model of the, the truth, the principles, the realities of the kingdom of God. That's why Paul talks so much in the New Testament about these one another commands to love one another and serve one another and forgive one another and pray for one another, right? The way we operate together as the body of Christ is supposed to represent the kingdom of God. So when the kingdoms of the world look at the church, they say, there's something different. There's something different going on here, but we're, we're called to usher in that kingdom. Now, I don't know about you, but that's, a, that's kind of an intimidating task, right? To, to live in this way, to, to point people to Jesus, to bring about the kingdom of God, that, the pressure of that, the weight of that's intimidating. But that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. And just as Luke has said in every week of this series, he's pointed us back to this verse in John. When Jesus looks at his disciples in John 16, and he says, hey, it's actually best for you that I go away. It's best for you that I go away. Why? Because if I don't, the, the advocate or the comforter, the Holy Spirit won't come. And the Holy Spirit, as Luke has been talking about these last few weeks, is God's presence among us today. Not just located in the body of Jesus, but across the globe, in the, the global body of Christ, the Spirit of God is moving all across the earth as the body of Christ is living in such a way. And it's the Holy Spirit that's gonna guide us. The Holy Spirit is our guide to help us know how we should live and what we should do and where we should go. It'll lead us. The Holy Spirit is the one that, that is gonna teach us. Right? It'll lead us into all truth. The Spirit is the one that will remind us of all the things that Jesus has taught. So if you're not sure what to say in that moment, the Holy Spirit's the one that, that gives you those words and reminds you of those things that, that Jesus has taught. So the Holy Spirit that, that comforts us in the challenges of living out this mission. And like Luke talked last week, it's the Holy Spirit that empowers us. That we have the power of the presence of God in our lives, empowering us to do the very thing he's called us to do. And so it's the Holy Spirit that moves in us to live as the body of Christ, to usher in the realities of the kingdom of God, to live in such a way, to, to be a witness, to invite people in and to share that truth and then live as a model of the realities to come. And they hear, but not fully yet, kingdom. And the Holy Spirit is what empowers us to do that. And one of the main ways that the power of the Holy Spirit is displayed in the church and you and I, one of the main ways it's displayed is through spiritual gifts. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Spiritual gifts. And like many things with the Holy Spirit, there's confusion and misunderstanding around spiritual gifts. I mean, what exactly are they? Are they like superpowers, you know? Like, like lightning coursing through me like Thor or something? Or is it like Star Wars? Is it like this force where I can move things with my mind and change people's minds? Like, these are not the droids you're looking for. <laughs> you know, like, what is it like Harry Potter? Like, it's like magic. Like, if I say the right words and do the right things and believe hard enough, then God's gonna do what I want him to do. What are these spiritual gifts? And then let's be honest, there's all kinds of confusion among the church and all kinds of disagreements. There are good, faithful Christians that talk about spiritual gifts and they say, you know what? These gifts don't exist anymore. They, they ended with the, the first followers of Jesus and God gave them those gifts to get the church started, but we don't need them anymore. But then there's other faithful Christians that say, no, these spiritual gifts are super important. In fact, if you don't have certain gifts, you're not really even saved. And like, there's all of this debate and confusion. Like, what is it? What are these gifts? 
Well, today, I'm not going to answer every single question you have about spiritual gifts. <laughs> we don't have enough time. But my hope today is we're going to look at Scripture, and from the Scripture that we study together and walk through together, we're going to pull out a definition of what spiritual gifts are, and then I think even more importantly, we're going to begin to understand how we are to use them and why we have them. Because one of the things that happens in this conversation about spiritual gifts is we get so focused on the disagreements and the nuance that we kind of miss the forest for the trees. So I kind of want to do this big picture overview, um, and there'll be questions that you, that, are, that you leave unanswered. But hopefully, big picture, we can understand what these gifts are, um, why we have them, and how we should use them. And so to do that, we're going to look at Scripture today, and we're going to walk through three chapters of a book in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians so 1 Corinthians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. And um, Paul in the first century was basically this church planter. He went from city to city starting new churches. And then he would write letters to correspond with these churches that he had started. And, and he would instruct them and address situations that were going on and, and lead them and guide them. And much of our New Testament are these letters that we have, um, that have existed through history that have been collected and put together are these letters that Paul wrote to all these different churches. And so we can look and we can see what Paul was writing into this situation to this um, church at this certain point in history, uh, and we can learn some things from it. And so 1 Corinthians, the letter that Paul wrote to this church in the Roman city of Corinth, and um, this church has been having some struggles. We, we gather from the letter that he writes that there's a lot of division in the church. And so at the beginning of the letter, Paul addresses the division over who they should follow, right? I follow Paul. No, I follow Apollos. No, I follow Peter. Uh, later, there's division over the, the kind of foods they should eat. And should we eat this food sacrificed to the idol or not? And there's arguments about whether they could or couldn't. And Paul addresses that division. Uh, later, he addresses division over um, uh, between rich and poor. He addresses division between men and women. And then we get to chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians, and we see that Paul begins addressing division over this idea of spiritual gifts and how these gifts are used. So we're going to read through chapters 12 and then look at chapter 13 and 14. And this section of scripture is the longest discussion in scripture about spiritual gifts. There are a few other places that spiritual gifts are addressed, but this is the longest conversation. And so we're going to take a look at that today. So if you have your Bibles, open those up. You're going to want to follow along with me and read through, and maybe you want to highlight or underline some things. Uh, but let's start. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul changes the subject of his letter to address these um, spiritual gifts. Verse one, he says, now dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question, so this is maybe a, a previous question or a, a situation that they talked to Paul about and he's replying in his letter to them. About your question about the special abilities the spirit gives us. I, I don't want you to misunderstand this. So right from the bat, we can have a little bit of clarity. What are spiritual gifts? These special abilities the spirit gives us. So let's create a definition. Let's uh, begin filling, filling this definition out. A spiritual gift is a special ability given by the Holy Spirit. And so it's important to understand that, that a spiritual gift is not necessarily your own natural talent or your own natural abilities or uh, abilities that you've worked hard to develop. These are abilities that have been given by the Holy Spirit. They don't come from you and your hard work. They come from the Spirit. The Spirit has given them. Okay, and so then um, Paul goes on in verse four, and he gives um, a, a little bit more conversation. He says, hey, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts. So it's not just one, there's all these different kinds. He said, but it's the same spirit as the source of them all. Again, they're, they're from the spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord, and God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does all the work. 
And again, I want to point out as he's talking, notice how many times he says different and same, different and same, right? Different gifts, but the same spirit, different kinds of service, but the same Lord, different ways that God works, but it's the same God who does the work. It, he's addressing this division. And he's saying, look, spiritual gifts are, are maybe they're different ways and maybe you're arguing about them, but at the, at the end of the day, it's, it's all about, it's about the same God. It's the same spirit that gives these things. It's the same service that, that God is doing. And I think one of the key points to remember about spiritual gifts is that spiritual gifts are intended to bring unity, right? Paul's addressing this and saying, hey, look, no, these gifts are about, about unity. And um, the, the sad thing about the church today is so many times it's that subject that creates division, <laughs> There's all this argument about, well, is this a gift or not? Or this is how you should use this gift? And, and just like the church in Corinth in the first century, like we, we've created division over something that should bring unity. Unity. It's one, one Lord, one God, one body of Christ. Uh, so then the next verse in verse 7, Paul goes on and he says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us. Why? So that we can help each other. So let's go back to our definition. Spiritual gift is a special ability given by the Holy Spirit. Who's it given to? Each follower of Jesus. So you, you may be asking, do I have this spiritual gift? Do I have this ability given by the Holy Spirit? Are you a follower of Jesus? If so, then you do. Um, and when you choose to follow Jesus, the Spirit gives you this, this gift, this ability. Why? Why does the Spirit give these abilities? Well, it's the purpose of them, to be used to help others. So the whole purpose of these gifts is to, to use to help others. Others. And I think that's another key point that we need to remember. Spiritual gifts are not about you. They're not about you. They're given to you so that you can help other people, so that you can serve and build up the church. And again, that's where gifts get so messed up. We, we think about it, we, our own ego and our pride gets mixed into it. And we think like, oh, I'm special because I have this gift. It's not about you. The gifts have been given so that God can work through you. Remember what Luke talked about last week about the conduit, the Holy Spirit's power. We are to be a conduit, a channel. It doesn't end. It doesn't stop with us. It works through us. And one of the ways that it works through us is through these gifts, these abilities that God gives. And the reason he gives them isn't about you. It's not to make you better or to make you happier or to make you seem fulfilled. It's so that you can use them to help other people, to serve the church, to build up, to bring about the kingdom of God to bear in the world around us. So then Paul goes on and he gives some examples of what some of these gifts are. So you're, if you're wondering, like, what are, what are these gifts? What does it look like? He says, well, to one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice, the gift of wisdom. Another person uh, a message of special knowledge. Uh, the same spirit gives a, a great faith, the gift of faith. Another, um, to someone else, a uh, gift of healing. They can be a conduit of God's healing. Um, and he keeps going on. He says, um, he gives one person the power to perform miracles. Another, the ability to prophesy or to speak this truth from God to a, a community that needs to hear it. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the spirit of God or from another spirit, to discern what, what the origin of something is, the gift of discernment. So still, another person is given the ability to speak in an unknown language, and while another person is given the ability to interpret what's being said. And then he kind of wraps everything up. He says, it's the one and only spirit who distributes all these gifts, and he alone decides which gift each person should have. So again, these gifts, these abilities are given by the Holy Spirit. So in that section, Paul gives some examples, and there, there are other sections of Scripture where um, different examples are given. 
But the, the main idea is that these are given by God and, and the Holy Spirit chooses and distributes them. And I think that should result in incredible humility. Again, it's not anything that we have done to earn it. It's not because one of us is better than the other person. The Spirit just gives them as the Spirit sees fit. It's not about us. So it should require humility in how we use and utilize these gifts as we help other people. And so then um, Paul then begins and he shifts this metaphor as he's talking about these gifts in in the second part of uh, chapter 12. He begins using this metaphor of the body, a human body. He says, you know, your body is made up of all these different parts. All these different parts work together and every part has a different function and they all come together to to make a human body, to make you, you healthy. And you need all these parts functioning to, to be healthy and to be a human body. And then he says, well, that's just the same like the church. And so then he, he says this. He says, um, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. And he talks about how God has placed the body of Christ together. And so he has placed you as a part of this church on purpose. And he's given you specific gifts and abilities to use. And he's placed this church and our community among all the other churches on purpose. And we have a role to play. And then this community of churches, he's placed in the worldwide church because we all have a role to play as a part of the body of Christ. And so let's go back to the definition then because I think there's another important distinction. Spiritual gifts is special ability given by the Holy Spirit to each follower of Jesus to be used to help others as the body of Christ. It's, it's the, the church collectively, us together, all of us together that are doing this work using our gifts. In other words, there's, there's no Rambos in church. God doesn't just like endow one person with incredible abilities and superpowers. He's like, okay, go take on the world for me. No, he, he has placed each of us. We are part of the body of Christ. And he's placed all of us together so that together the body of Christ can serve and help those in need and bring about the kingdom of God to bear. It's us collectively together working as the body of Christ. And so we need each one of us using the gifts that God has given you as a part of the body in order for us to be fully healthy. If one of us isn't using the gifts, if we're not in the game, then the body of Christ isn't fully healthy. Um, a few years ago, I was at uh, dad camp with my sons. And uh, dad camp's a great weekend retreat. If you have kids in elementary, middle school, or high school, I encourage you to check out dad camp. Um, it's, it's just a, a great weekend experience. Um, but uh, they have all these fun games as a part of the weekend. And one of the things we were doing, they had this giant slip and slide down this hill. And you get a bunch of dads together, and they're kind of the egos, and they start competing. And so all the dads were trying to compete to see who could slide the furthest down this slip and slide, you know. And so my turn was up, and man, I just take off as fast as I could running, and I jump, and I'm just barreling down the slip and slide. And I look up, and there's a kid that was in front of me who didn't get off the slip and slide. He's just kind of like playing in the water in the middle. And I'm like coming down fast, you know. I'm like, get out of the way. And the kid's not moving. And so like I try to like push myself out of the way the best I could. And I end up spinning and I fling around and my feet smash into the kid. And my, my foot hits the kid's knee. The kid was fine. He didn't even cry. He was okay. I broke my toe. <laughs> so... The rest of the weekend, you know, I'm like, I'm fine, I'm fine. It's just a toe, no big deal. I don't need to go to the hospital. But I'm kind of like, you know, limping around, favoring this broken toe. Well, eventually, like, my hips start hurting. 
And then the more I'm limping around, then my, my back starts hurting. And by the end of the weekend, I'm just in misery. Like my whole body's hurting because I'm kind of favoring this, this broken toe. Right? And you don't realize how important a body part is until it's not functioning how it should function. And the same is true. That's the metaphor that Paul is using about the church, about the body of Christ. God has placed you as a part of the body and he has gifted you with these spiritual gifts and these gifts work in conjunction with your own natural abilities and your own interests and passions and your own personality. God has shaped you as a unique person. And because of that, you have a role to play in the church that nobody else can fill. And so when you're not a part of the body of Christ, when you're not actively involved serving and using your gifts and to trying to help other people to bring about God's love and God's kingdom on earth, when you're not doing that, the body of Christ is kind of limping along because there's a body part that isn't functioning like it's created to function. We need you. You play a key role that nobody else can fill. And it's so easy especially a church like Crossroads, to think like, oh, you know, everything just kind of happens on a weekend and the church is doing all these amazing things and I'm just gonna kind of just check it out. They, they don't need my help. But I'm telling you, the body of Christ needs you. Whether it's here at Crossroads, whether it's another ministry involved in the community, so many great things going on in the community or it's something across the globe. The body of Christ, the church, the global church, you have a role to play in it and God has gifted you with these gifts and these abilities and he wants to work through you to help other people to serve, to bring about the kingdom of God on this earth, on earth as it is in heaven. And so the challenge is to, to figure out how can I get involved? So the question is, what, what gift might I have? Okay, Brent, if every follower of Jesus has a spiritual gift, how do I know? How do I know what my gift might be? How do I know what I have? And so in your um, bulletins, there's a QR code at the bottom of the notes. Um, it points you to a web page, and on that web page are all the different spiritual gifts that have been mentioned in Scripture. It's not an exhaustive list, and maybe there's disagreement about one is or one isn't, but um, as many things that we could identify, and then there's a description about it, and then the verses there where that pulls from, so you can study and, and figure that out on your own. And then also on that site is a link to a spiritual gifts test. So it's just a series of questions that can maybe be a tool to help you zero in on what a gift might be. Um, again, it's, it's not a guarantee, you know, it's not like you just push all these buttons and then a report spits out, and this is what you have for sure. Uh, but it's a tool you can use to kind of figure that out. But honestly... Honestly, better than any gift assessment or test or anything like that, the best way to figure out what gift you might have is to put yourself in positions where you need one. Right? The best way to figure out what spiritual gift you might have is to put yourself in a position where you need them. Because why did God give a spiritual gift? Why, do they, why are they given? To help other people. And so if you never step out of your comfort zone, if you never put yourself in a position to be used by God to help somebody else or to serve the church or be a part of the body of Christ, then you're not gonna know what gift you have because you're not gonna need it. But the moment you step out of your comfort zone and you feel like God's leading you to do something, but you're like, man, I don't know. I don't know if I have what it takes. I, I don't think this is gonna work. But if you step out in faith and you're gonna discover that God's gonna give you what you need to accomplish what he's called you to do. 
And so the challenge is to, to begin to find different ways that you can get out and serve and um, get plugged in in different groups or different settings and begin using your gifts to try to help other people, try to serve other people, try to be the, the hands and feet of Jesus. And as you do that, you're, you're gonna kind of, it'll be trial and error, right? There are some things that just will go miserably and you're like, okay, that's not my place in the body. I'm not called to do that, you know? But then there'll be other things where like, it'll click and you'll realize like, oh, I didn't think I could do it, but, but like it, it happened. Like God gave me what I needed in the moment to, to do what he's called me to do. Um, so for me, like one of the, the gifts that, that I feel like I have is the gift of teaching, which is hopefully true because otherwise why am I up here? <laughs> uh, but, um, uh, so, but I didn't, I didn't know I had that gift um, until I was put in positions to do it. And so um, I remember back in college, I was only a, like a couple years a, a Christian. I'd only been Christian for a couple years. Um, but I went to college and I was a part of this fraternity and uh, they had this Bible study that happened on Wednesday nights. And the senior that was a part of the fraternity led this Bible study. And so I'm a new Christian trying to live my faith in kind of a challenging circumstance in college. And so I'm like, I, I wanna be a part of this Bible study. So I started attending. When we get to the end of the year, and this guy's about to graduate that's leading the Bible study and he needs somebody else to, to carry the Bible study on. And so he just looks at me and he's like, hey, Brent, why don't you do the Bible study next year? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know how to do that. Uh, and, but thankfully I was a part of a, a campus ministry and I had a guy that was discipling me. And so he was like, hey, look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk along with you and I'm gonna show you how, how to do this. And so that next year I took over the Bible study in the fraternity and um, you know, led it. And, and the most amazing thing happened. Like it was actually enjoyable. Like, I, I enjoyed putting together the Bible studies. I actually spent more time putting the Bible studies together than I did doing my homework and writing papers and stuff, which isn't a good idea, but... I, I did, and as as the group would meet, like there were great conversation would happen, and then guys would like learn things and understand things, and it just was like this, like oh, I didn't think I could do this, and it's actually going okay, you know, and and I began that was part of the process, like God helping me understand, like this is maybe one of the gifts that that I've given you, and and so since then I've tried to find in. in that's kind of just what I do in every opportunity, whether it's one-on-one -on -one conversation or small groups or up here on a platform, I, I try to use my gift to, to teach and help people understand the things that God's trying to communicate through scripture. And so step out of your comfort zone and when you begin to serve, put yourself in a position where you need God to show up, you're gonna to begin to discover what his gifts might be. All right, so um, then Paul, we, we just kind of walked through chapter 12 um, now we're going to skim through chapters 13 and 14 because the conversation about spiritual gifts continues. Um, and so let's jump ahead to chapter 14 and then we'll come back to chapter 13. When you get to chapter 14 and Paul in the conversation, he begins to really address some of the, the ways that spiritual gifts are being misused in the, the church in Corinth. And he writes some um, particular instructions addressing some of that. And um, he, in particular, he talks about the gift of tongues or the gift in speaking of, of these other languages. And I'm not gonna go into a ton of detail there because there's all kinds of different opinions. There's been you know, people with PhDs that have written papers and looking at the original Greek and the context and there's, there's all the different opinions, no shortage of opinions on what exactly is this gift and how is it supposed to be used and what's it about um, but what I want to do is kind of big picture, remind us of the definition that we got from chapter 12 of what Paul talks about gifts are. And, in, in, and there's some things that I think are clear and at least you read through in his conversation about how the church in Corinth was using this gift of tongues. 
And so one of the things that's clear is Paul points out that the way they were using this gift wasn't helping the entire church. Because why was the gifts, why are the spiritual gifts given? To help other people. And so he says, hey, look, you're, you're speaking in these other languages, but nobody else knows what you're saying because nobody else understands this language. So using this gift in that way is not helping everyone else. So he says, stop doing it, right? If, if no one's there to interpret and help explain what you're saying, don't use this gift because it's not helping everyone else. It's not strengthening the whole church. Paul says, hey, I would rather you speak five words with, with a language people can understand than 10,000 words in a language that nobody understands because it doesn't do any good. It doesn't help anybody. And he, he kind of summarizes here in um, verse 26. He says, hey, brothers and sisters, let's summarize when you meet together, when you come together as the church. He begins talking about the different gifts and how people use them. One will sing, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation that God has given. One will speak in tongues if somebody's there to interpret, right? When another one will interpret what's said. And then his biggest point, he says the next verse. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you because spiritual gifts are given to help other people, to build up the body of Christ. And so Paul's addressing these, the way that the, the church was misusing the gift of tongues. And he's saying, look, it's got to help the whole church. So I know you may have some questions about it. Um, if you do, feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to talk with you more details about, about the gift of tongues. And there's all kinds of different thoughts and confusion around it. But we're just sticking big picture. The whole purpose of it is to be used to strengthen the church. All right, that's chapter 14. And then let's go back then to chapter 13. Um, and uh, Paul, in the midst of this conversation about spiritual gifts between chapter 12 and chapter 14, says some words that may sound familiar to some of us. He says, hey, if I could speak all the languages on earth and of angels, so in other words, like the gift of tongues, but I didn't love, I would only be this noisy gong or this clanging cymbal. He said, if I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had a gift of faith that could move mountains but didn't love, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor, if I had the gift of, of generosity, a gift of giving, uh, but, but didn't have love, I would have gained nothing. And then he says these words, and maybe you've heard at a wedding, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It, it does not re rejoice about injustice, but love rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. And then prophecy and speaking in unknown languages, beginning, he talked about these gifts, these things and, and knowledge, they will become useless. They, they're gonna end but love will last forever. And so this, this verse about love is patient and love is kind, maybe you've heard it at weddings. Did you know that it has nothing to do with marriage? It's about spiritual gifts. It's about the church. It's about how the church should operate. And, and so when you look at Paul's whole conversation about spiritual gifts, you begin to see this pattern. Right? You begin to see in chapter 12, he talks about spiritual gifts. Chapter 13, he talks about how love is a greater than these gifts. And then chapter 14, he comes back to spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts, love, spiritual gifts. What Paul has done in his conversation is he has created a love sandwich. 
Spiritual gifts, love, spiritual gifts. Now, I enjoy a good hamburger. And uh, we happened to uh, pick one up last night. And uh, any good burger, is, uh, it's all about the, the meat. It's all about the ground beef, right? I mean, you can have the most exquisite bread in the world, but if you put a mediocre patty on there, it's just gonna be a mediocre burger, right? And the, what's the role of the buns anyway? The buns are the mechanism to bring the tasty burger to your mouth. Right? They're the delivery mechanism for the delicious ground beef. Do you get where I'm going at here? Paul creates a love sandwich. He's talked about spiritual gifts, love, spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are the mechanism by which we bring God's world or God's love to a world that needs to hear it. Spiritual gifts are how God's love is conveyed to the world. It's how the kingdom of God is brought to bear in the reality of people that need to understand that there is a God that loves them. There's a God that is for them. There's a God that has given everything so that they could be made right with him and come back to him. And so often what we do is we put all our focus on the buns. We have all these arguments about spiritual gifts and is this a gift or is this not? And does it still exist? Or do you have to have this gift to be saved? And the church is missing the point. It's not about the buns. It's about the meat in the middle. It's about God's love. And anytime spiritual gifts are used devoid of God's love, they're not truly spiritual gifts. They're not how God has intended them to be used. Anytime your own pride and your own ego get involved in spiritual gifts, you think you're more than or less than somebody, you're distorting what God has intended. The Holy Spirit has empowered us through these special abilities to deliver God's love to a world that needs to understand that God loves them. And so this whole series about the Holy Spirit, I hope that you begin to realize that, that there's the presence of God, the very presence of God resides within us. And that God is gonna be the, the comforter when you face challenging circumstances, because living on mission for Jesus, you're going to face challenges, but you have the comforter with you to encourage you and to guide you, that the Holy Spirit in you is going to lead you to truth, is going to remind you of everything that Jesus has taught. He's going to give you the words that you need in the moment, and that the Holy Spirit will empower you the same power that raised Christ from the grave lives in you and will empower you through the special abilities that he gives you to do the ministry of the church, to be the body of Christ, to, to point to people, to be a witness, to make disciples, to live as a community where the one another's are lived out, where you can love one another and serve one another and pray for one another and forgive one another. So when the world looks at the church, they see a foretaste of the kingdom of God that's gonna come when Jesus finally returns. And it's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to do that, to live on mission and to make a difference as we use these abilities to help other people, to serve them, to build up the church. It's the role of the Holy Spirit. And man, that's an incredible invitation. And yet so many of us miss out because we just, we're just content on sitting on the sidelines. We're just content being focused on our own things or we let our own pride and our own ego get in the way, but there's incredible beauty that God is inviting us to, to be a part of his movement to bring the kingdom of God to bear.
That's the role of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't rest just on our shoulders. God's gonna empower us and give us what we need in the moment to do what he's called us to do. And that's gonna change the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I have to admit that when I think about the things that you have entrusted your church with, the things that you've entrusted me with, it can be intimidating because I'm not qualified. I'm not good enough to do that. I'm gonna fall short. But God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit that it doesn't have to rest on my own ability and my own strength, that you give us your very presence and that you empower us and that you gift us. And God, help us keep the focus uh, on what needs to be, that, that we can be a conduit of your love and bring your love to bear in a world that needs to see it as we help and serve those around us, as we love our neighbors, as we love our enemies, as we love ourselves, overwhelm us with your extravagant love and help us use those gifts to, to distribute that to the world around us. Thank you for the gift of your spirit. Help us be the church that you want us to be. Help us be involved. I pray for people that, that maybe today there's, there's a, something inside of them that's, that said, man, I, I need to check out. How can I get involved? What gift might I have? How can I begin using that? God, I ask you to lead them to those steps, to, to strengthen them, to guide them, to empower them, to be a part of your body. Help them know where they fit and how you want to use each one of us to help those around us as the body of Christ to be a channel of your love. It's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray, amen.